Bible study, and to be able to uh, study your word, Lord, and especially the, the context we'll be looking at, the text that we'll be looking at tonight. Lord, I pray you'd uh, just bless it, help me to have clarity of mind, to say the things and teach the things you'd have me to say, Father. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Alright, well we're there in Matthew chapter number 1, and like I said, we're beginning a new book of the Bible tonight, the book of Matthew, and uh, we've only, the only other gospel that we've done, and, and by gospel, the books of the Bible that are referred to as the Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we've taught before through the book of John, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. In fact, it was the first book we did on Wednesday night when we first started the church. And we're going to go through the book of Matthew uh, here. And uh, tonight will be kind of an introduction. We'll look at a few things in the passage, but I, I want to explain to you a few things. Tonight we're only going to go through the first part of the book of Matthew. We're actually just going to deal with the genealogy or the, the chronology that's given in the first 17 verses. Next week we're going to get into the second part of the story as it leads into the Christmas story. And it's a good time to be dealing with it because it is the Christmas season. But I want you to understand <laughs> something about this uh, uh, genealogy. And I want you to understand something about the book of Matthew itself. If you look at verse 1, the Bible says, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ. Now, you and I, uh, today in our modern uh, vocabulary, look at the word generation and we see it as a, uh, as a time span or as an amount of time. But you got to understand that when the Bible uses the word generation, it's not necessarily a time span. Uh, the word generation has to do with who gave birth to you or what... Uh, person you came from, uh, let me give you a definition for the word generation, and by the way, this is a, a, a definition for the word generation, is that that the Bible uses, it's just commonly we think of a generation like a, a, a set time frame, but uh, here's the definition of the word generation, it means the action or process of producing offspring, or the process of coming or bringing into being, like you've heard the word generating, you know, or a generator, you know, produces something. Some, uh, so the word generation deals with production. And the Bible says here, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ. So it's given us here a lineage telling us exactly how we got the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here's what you got to understand, okay? You need to understand the purpose of the book of Matthew. And the book of Matthew, we find the purpose in verse number 1. Now look at verse 1 again. It says, the book... Of the generation of Jesus Christ. Now I want you to notice this. It says, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Uh, Abraham. Alright? Now here's what you got to understand. We have four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I don't have time to develop the thought that I'm going to give you now. You can study it out on your own if you'd like. But the different Gospels all give us the story of Jesus Christ. The life of Jesus Christ. But they all have different purposes. Okay? For example, the book of Luke teaches us about the humanity of Jesus Christ. Because see, Jesus was 100% man. And 100% God. Alright? He was the God-man. Oftentimes, he is called the Son of God. In the book of Luke, he's often referred to as the Son of Man. Okay? The book of Luke represents Jesus to us as a human being. That's why the book of Luke gives us many descriptions about Jesus. It tells us that he was uh, sad, or that he was tired, or it tells us about his emotions. The book of Luke tells us, uh, in, in the book of Luke, we find the most of his childhood. We find a more complete story of the Christmas story. We get that story of it when he was 12 years old. No other gospel gives us that. Why does Luke give us that? Because when we're interested in a human being, we're interested in their childhood. We're interested in their family life. Okay, that's why Luke does that. John represents Jesus as the Son of God. It represents Him as God in the flesh. That's why you begin the book of John, there is no Christmas story. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, all things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. So it represents Jesus as the Son of God. Mark represents Jesus as a servant. And we see Him often serving. Matthew, the purpose of the book of Matthew, was to show us the Lord Jesus Christ as two things. The Messiah and the King. And that's why if you look at verse 1 there, it says, The book of the generations of Jesus Christ. Now notice this. The son of David, the son of Abraham. Now it's interesting that it mentions... And by the way, let me, let me say this. Well, let me... Let's not get it. Let, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Um, let me show you this, okay? 
It shows us Jesus Christ, but it shows us fulfilling a couple covenants. There are two major covenants dealing with Christ in the Bible. There is what's called the Abrahamic covenant, and there is what's called the Davidic covenant. Okay, The Davidic covenant, if you remember, was when God... In fact, I want you to turn there. Take your Bibles and go to 2 Samuel chapter number 7. 2 Samuel chapter number 7, okay? Because the book of Matthew, the, and, and it's not its only purpose, but the main purpose is to show us Jesus Christ as the son of David and as the son of Abraham, okay? And I believe that is showing two fulfillments of covenants, the Davidic covenant and the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, go to 2 Samuel chapter number 7 in the Old Testament. 2 Samuel chapter number 7. Look at verse 12. 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 12, the Bible says, And when thy days be fulfilled, and the context there is David. I don't have time to read all the way to the beginning of the chapter to show you that. You can study that out on your own if you want. But the context who's being spoken of here is David. It says, When thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up, notice what it says, Thy seed after thee. Okay? Uh, The seed is a reference to his offspring. Thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, I will establish his kingdom. So here, God promises David that his offspring, that which proceeds out out of his bowels, God is going to establish his kingdom. Look at verse 13. And he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever, and I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. So those verses have to do with not just Jesus Christ, but the other descendants between David and Jesus Christ, Solomon and all those other guys. Okay, look at verse 15. But my mercy shall not depart away from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. So remember, Saul was king before David. God took the kingdom from Saul and gave it to David. What God is promising David at this time is that he's not going to do to David what he did to Saul. He's not going to remove the kingdom from David. He said, I'm promising you this kingdom forever. Look at verse 16. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established. Notice this word, forever. I guess those are two words. (laughs) in the Bible. Forever. Shall be established forever. Before thee, look what it says, thy throne shall be established forever. Okay? So God promised David that his throne, there would always be a seed of David that would sit on the throne of David forever. His kingdom would be established forever. That's what's known as the uh, Davidic, if you want to use a, a theological term, Davidic covenant. The fulfillment of that covenant was the Lord Jesus Christ. One day the Lord is coming back and He will reign on the throne of David and He's the fulfillment because Jesus is a descendant of King David. Okay? Uh, so, so the purpose of the book is to show us Jesus Christ. Here's what we got to understand. The purpose of the book of Matthew is to show the Jews, alright, that Jesus is truly their rightful King because He is a fulfillment of the Davidic covenant, the promise that God gave David. Alright? But there's more to it than just being king. Because go, go back to Matthew 1, one. look what it says. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David. But notice, it also says this, the son of Abraham. The son of David, the son of Abraham. Okay, go to Genesis chapter 15. We saw the Davidic covenant. That deals with the kingdom. That deals with David being the king. But now let's look at the Abrahamic covenant. What is the Abrahamic covenant about? Genesis chapter 15. Look at verse 18. Should be fairly easy to find. First book in the, New, in the Old Testament. Genesis 15. Verse 18. I don't know. I, I hope you're able to hear me. I, I feel like I can't <clears throat> project my voice. But I, I think you should be, able, you should be fine. Uh, the guys next door are helping us out. Genesis uh, 15. Look at verse 18. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant. Okay, do you see that? The word covenant is like a contract. He made a covenant with Abraham, saying, Unto thy seed. Do you see that? Have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. Okay, uh, and you find the Abrahamic covenant a few times in Scripture. I'm only going to give you a couple to look at. Go to Genesis 22. So there we find that God made a covenant with Abraham. It had to do with the seed. It had to do with the land. All right. Go to Genesis 22. Look at verse 17. 
Genesis 22, verse 17. <laughs> Genesis 22, verse 17. Genesis 22, verse 17. Here we find the Abrahamic covenant uh, given again. And it says that in blessings I will bless thee, and in multiplyings I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gates of his enemies, verse 18, and in thy seed, notice, in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. Okay, so God promised Abraham a few things. He said, I'm going to give you a seed. He said, I'm going to multiply it. And in different places, he tells us different things, but uh, it tells us, you know, they're going to be like the sand and the seashore. Okay, that's the earthly, physical, I believe, a reference to the earthly uh, uh, descendants of Abraham. But he says they're also going to be like the stars of heaven. I believe that's a reference to the spiritual descendants of Abraham. And he says, I'm going to give you a seed that all the nations of the earth be blessed. He said, I'm going to give you a son, Abraham, and all the nations will be blessed because of your son. Well, who is that son? It's Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ came to bring salvation to the entire world. Alright? So, God, in the Abrahamic covenant, had given a promise that Abraham would have a son, would have a descendant, that would bless the entire earth. God had given David a covenant saying that David would have a son, would have a descendant, that would be king. Okay, go back to Matthew chapter 1. Look at verse 1 again. The book of the generations of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Okay, the purpose of the book of Matthew is to show us that Jesus truly was the Messiah, and Jesus truly was the king, the rightful king of Israel. Now you've got to understand this, okay, and I want to be very careful how I say this. The book, you know, a lot of people say the book of Matthew was written for the Jews. And I understand what they're saying by that, but that's, that, that's kind of a, a, a... You want to be careful when you get in that mode, because people, people get to the place where, you know, nothing in Matthew applies to us, it's all for the Jews, nothing in there is for us, you know, every teaching in there is, is not for the Gentiles. I don't believe that's true, and I don't necessarily want to say that the book of Matthew was written for the Jews, but the book of Matthew was written to convince the Jews and anyone else that Jesus was the Messiah and that He was the rightful King of Israel. Okay? That's the purpose of the book. Now, please understand this. Okay, you don't have to turn there. Let me read this verse for you. 2 Timothy 3.16 All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Don't let somebody tell you, the book of Matthew is written for the Jews, so you don't have to read it, you don't have to study it, you don't have to learn it. No, the Bible says all Scripture was given by inspiration of God and is profitable. All Scripture is profitable. And tonight we're going to only look at the chronology. But you know, the chronology, a lot of people think, oh, the chronology, that's boring. It's just so-and-so begat so-and-so, so-and-so begat so-and-so, so-and-so begat so-and-so. A lot of times people will skip that. Let me challenge you, don't skip that in your Bible reading. You know, don't just, just read it, because why? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All Scripture is profitable, alright? But you need to understand that the purpose of the book of Matthew was to show us that uh, Jesus is the Messiah, He is the Christ, He is the King of Israel, okay? I don't want to say it's written for the Jews only, because all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, all Scripture is profitable, but it is definitely there to convince the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah, because the Jews rejected Jesus both as Messiah and as King, alright? Uh, let me give you a few, a few things to think about. Actually, go, go to Mark chapter number 2. Matthew, Mark chapter number 2, look at verse 14. The writer of the book of Matthew was a man by the name of Matthew, but he had two names. Matthew, his other name was Levi. Alright? Levi, Mark chapter 2, and this is kind of just introduction to the book. Mark chapter 2, look at verse 14. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, that's Matthew, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of customs, and said unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. Alright? So Matthew, or Levi, was actually a Jewish 
tax collector. So he was a Jew, but he worked for the government, the Roman government, collecting taxes from the Jews to give to the Romans. So not necessarily a job that was uh, very well respected, okay? It's like, it's like you're working for the enemy. But that's, that's where he worked. That's what God saved him out of. Let me give you a few things. The key words in the book of Matthew, you'll see this word 16 times in the book of Matthew. Fulfilled. Fulfilled. And you'll find as we go through the book of Matthew, that constantly Matthew is referring back to the Old Testament and referring to the fact that Jesus fulfilled prophecy in the Old Testament. If you ever read the book of Matthew, you may have noticed that. He, as you're reading through it, he's constantly telling you, you know, he fulfilled this prophecy, he fulfilled that prophecy, he fulfilled that prophecy. Other, other uh, uh, Gospels do that a little bit, but they don't do it as much as Matthew. Why does Matthew do it? Because Matthew's goal is to show them, this is your Messiah, this is your King. You understand that? So that's why he's doing that. Uh, so, 16 times in the book of Matthew, you'll find the, for, the word fulfilled. 54 times in the book of Matthew, you'll find this word, kingdom. Constantly bringing up the, the, the idea of a kingdom. The kingdom of heaven. A king. You know, it's just constantly coming up. Why? Because he's trying to show, this is the son of David, the king. This is the son of Abraham, the Messiah. Jesus is called... Okay, all of us have heard Jesus referred to as the Son of God, right? All of us, you may have heard Jesus referred to as the Son of, uh, of Man, okay? Uh, like I said earlier, a reference to His deity, a reference to His humanity. But another uh, term that Jesus is called by that we don't talk a lot about is He's often referred to as the Son of David. Now here's what's interesting. 16 times in the book of Matthew, He's referred to as the Son of David, in the book of Luke, he's referred to the son of David three times. In the book of Mark, he's referred to the son of David three times. In the book of John, he's referred to the son of David zero times. Okay, So do you see the emphasis that Matthew is placing on Jesus being the son of David, his chronology? And by the way, that's why we begin the book with this chronology. Because the chronology is proving that he's a descendant of Abraham and a descendant of David. And we're going to get into it in a, little, in a little bit. But let me just give you one more thought on the chronology. Okay? In the Gospels, you find two chronologies of Jesus Christ. You find this one in Matthew, and you find one in Luke. Now, do you remember what I said Luke was? To show us Jesus as a what? As a man. As a human being. The humanity of Jesus Christ. That's why we get the, the, the most, uh, uh, or the, I should say the longest account of his child, of his birth. We, we get the only account in scripture of Jesus' childhood when he was 12 years old and, and Joseph and Mary, you know, Joseph thought he was with Mary, Mary thought he was Joseph, or they thought that he was with family, and they left him. Remember that? You only find that in Luke, okay? The, the, the chronology in Luke, I thought this was interesting, I don't know if you will takes us from Jesus all the way to Adam. Okay? Adam, the first man. Now, why would we go from Jesus all the way to Adam? Because, guess what? Every single one of us is a descendant of Adam, because we're all human beings. Does that make sense? The chronology in Matthew, look at verse 2, Abraham begat Isaac. The chronology in Matthew begins at Abraham. Why? Because Matthew's not interested in showing Jesus as a man. He's interested in showing Jesus as a Messiah and as the king. So he begins at Abraham. Luke takes his chronology all the way back to Adam because he doesn't really want to prove him as king or prove him as Messiah. He just wants to show us, hey, this is a human being like you and I. Alright, so just a few things to think about. Let's go ahead and get into the, the chronology. Okay, here's what I want you to know about this chronology. <coughs> Mostly, it is men referred to here in Matthew. But there are four women, aside from Mary, who are also referred to in the chronology. It's very interesting. Look at verse uh, 2. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. And by the way, Judas was not the eldest son of Jacob. Okay, so you can see here, the, the purpose of chronology is not to be an accurate chronology as far as, you know, the family members. Its purpose is to prove the royal line and the messianic line. 
Which is why Judas is mentioned, because God promised that through Judas would come the Messiah, and then David, of course, was of the tribe of Judah, and God promised that through David would be the king. Alright? So that's why Judas is mentioned. Look at verse 2 again. Abraham begat Isaac, Isaac begat Jacob, Jacob begat Judas and his brother. I know tonight feels a lot like a Bible study or a Bible college course or something, but it's good. Look look at verse 3. And Judas begat Perez and Zerah, I want you to notice this, of Tamar, or Thamar, okay? When you see the word of before a name, that's a woman. Because Judas begat Perez, that's a son, and Zerah, that's a son, and Judas begat these two sons of Thamar, alright? Do you see that? Thamar. And Perez begat Ezram, and Ezram begat Aram. Now, here's what's interesting. You find four women in this chronology. And they all have kind of the same underlying thought be, behind them. And let's, you know, let's take the time and go ahead and, and, and look at it tonight. Okay, the first woman mentioned in, in the chronology is Thamar. Alright, go, go to the book of Genesis chapter number 38. Genesis chapter 38. Okay, Judas begat Perez and Zerah of Thamar. Now you got to understand, the Old Testament was written in mostly Hebrew, the New Testament was written in Greek. Okay, so the names are not exactly spelled the same, because when you translate a name from Hebrew and you translate a name from Greek, they're going to be a little different. So in the New Testament, her name is Thamar. In the Old Testament, her name is Tamar, alright? Genesis 38. Now I don't want to take the time to read the entire chapter. Let me just get you caught up on the story here. Tamar was married to Judah's oldest son, Ur. Okay? So Judas had a son. His name was Ur. And Tamar was married to that son. Now God slew. God killed Ur because he was so wicked. He was such a wicked man. God just decided, I'm just going to kill this guy right now. So he kills Ur. Alright? Tamar is left without a husband. So Judah's Okay, Judah was the father-in-law of Tamar. Judah was the father of Ur. Judah now gives his second oldest son, Onan, to Tamar to marry. Because in those days, if a woman, uh, if a man died, then it was the job of his kinsmen or his brothers to kind of take care of her, marry her, and raise up seed. All right. So Judah tells uh, tells uh, uh, Onan, marry Tamar. And raise up seed unto your son. And what that means is that he would have a son, or he would have a child with Tamar, but it would not take his name, it would take the name of his of his brother, Ur. Okay, and that's kind of how they lived on, even though they died. Alright? Well, well, and I don't want to take the time to go there, you can study this on your own. Onan decided that he wanted to have the, a physical relationship with Tamar, but then he doesn't want to have a child with her, so he, he has a physical relation with her, but then refuses to uh, impregnate her. And you can read the passage there, and it will become very clear what happens. Okay? And God gets so mad at Onan that he kills him too. So now, you know, this, this lady had two husbands, now they're both dead. Okay? Judah has a third son, his name is Shelah. But he's young. So Judah says to Tamar, Okay, You need to live like a widow, go back to your dad's house, go live with your dad, and when my third son is old enough to get married, then I will I will give him to you as a husband. Alright? So you are you are you with me up to there? Look at verse thirteen. Genesis thirty eight thirteen. And it was told Tamar, saying, Behold, thy father-in-law goeth to Timnah to shear his sheep. And she put her widow's garment off from her. Okay, so she was a widow. And there was a garment that made her look like a widow. She took that garment off of her and covered her with a veil and wrapped herself and sat in an open place, which is by the way of Timnah, for she saw that Shelah was grown and she was not given to him to wife. Okay, so... Uh, Tamar, some time goes by, she sees that Shelah grows up, but he's not, she doesn't marry him. Judah did not keep his promise. She gets upset. She takes off her widow's garment and she puts on another outfit. Look at verse 16. Oh, verse 15. When Judah saw her, okay, so this is Judah, Tamar's father-in-law. When Judah saw her, he thought her to be an harlot. And by the way, let me 
me tell you something. There is a way that women ought to dress. And even this young lady knew. She's like, right now I'm dressed like a widow, but I'm going to put on another outfit that makes me look like a harlot. You know what a harlot is? It's a prostitute. A hooker. Okay, so there is a way that you can dress and look sleazy and look uh, and look dirty, you know, look like a harlot. And, uh, you know, that's very clear in Scripture. So look at verse 16, uh, or verse 15. When Judah saw her, he thought her to be an harlot. What to God? No man would ever look at a young lady from Verity Baptist Church and think she's a harlot by the way she's dressed. Because she had covered her face. And he turned unto her by the way and said, Go to, I pray thee, let me come in unto thee. For he knew not that she was his daughter-in-law. Okay, so you're following this. At that time, the prostitutes would cover their face. So Judah, he's a father-in-law. His wife is dead at this point. He sees this, he's on a trip. He sees this prostitute and he says, Let me go in unto you, not realizing it's his daughter-in-law. And she said, What wilt thou give me that thou mayest come in unto me? And he said, I will send thee a kid from the flock. And she said, Wilt thou give me a pledge till I'll send it? So she says, Well, how much are you going to pay me? He says, I'm going to give you a kid from the flock. And that was worth money. Okay? But he didn't have it on him. So she says, are you going to give me a pledge? Okay? A pledge, what she's asking for, is for something that identifies him and kind of secures the fact that he's going to send this money. Like, I remember when my wife and I, uh, before we purchased a house, if we'd go, like, rent something or we'd go look at an apartment, they would often ask to, like, keep my ID, you know, to make sure that I was coming back. You know what I'm talking about? That's kind of what she's doing. She's like, well, what are you going to give me to make sure that I actually get paid? So she asked for a pledge. Look at verse 18. And he said, what pledge shall I give thee? So he's like, well, what do you want? And she said, notice what she asked for. Remember this. She asked for the signet and my bracelets and my staff that is in my head. So he had a staff that he, he walked around with and everybody would have noticed his staff and noticed that's his staff. She asked for a signet. Uh, I believe that's a reference to like a ring that kind of had a mark on it that was like his signature. And she had for his bracelet. So these are things that he wore, that he had, that people would recognize as his. Uh, uh, and he gave it her and came in unto her and she conceived by him. So he said, fine, I'll give you this pledge. He goes in unto her and she gets pregnant, conceived by him. Look at verse 19. And by the way, that's why you shouldn't be having physical relationships without a marriage. Verse 19. And she arose and went away and laid by her veil from her and put on her garment for her widowhood. So she, she, she leaves there. She takes off her prostitute clothes and she puts on her, uh, her uh, you know, widow's garments. Okay, I'm going to skip a few verses here because I don't have time to go through it. But pretty much what happens is Judah has a friend and a, a Dulamite. He sends his friend to go find this prostitute to pay her, but the guy can never find her. And he asks people like, hey, where's that prostitute that used to be around here? And people around there are like, there wasn't a prostitute around here. So he comes home and he's like, I couldn't find her. Okay, verse 24. Skip down to verse 34, Genesis 38, 24. And it came to pass about three months after... That it was told Judah, saying, now look at the hypocrisy here. Tamar, thy daughter-in-law, hath played the harlot. And also, behold, she is with child by whoredom. Okay, because obviously she's three months along. People can tell that she's pregnant. So they come to Judah, they're like, hey, your daughter-in-law, remember she's supposed to be living over there as a widow? She's been playing the harlot. She is pregnant out of whoredoms. And Judah said, bring her forth and let, and let, now notice what it says. And Judah said, bring her forth and let her be burnt. Because in the Old Testament, you know, you know, God put the death penalty on more things than you and I put the death penalty on today in our society. You know that God put the death penalty on witches? Your little Harry Potter that you like to watch his movies wow. so much? He would have got put to death in the Old Testament. God put to, to death. God put to death. God put the death penalty on people that committed adultery, on on prostitutes. He put the death penalty on kidnapping an individual. I mean, there was a lot of things that got put to death. So Judah says, "Bring her forth. Let her be burnt. They're going to kill her because she's a prostitute." Verse twenty-five. Now keep in mind, Judah just three months ago hired a prostitute. Verse twenty-five. When she was brought forth. She said to her father-in-law, saying, now notice what she says, By the man whose these are, am I with child? So she said, look, you want to know who, who, I'm, who's, who, I got, who got me pregnant? The man that owns these things. And she said, discern, I pray thee, whose are these? The signet, the bracelet, and the staff. And staff. 
So she was pretty much just calls him out. Because they bring her to kill her. And she's like, well, here, before I die, let me confess to you who hired me to be a prostitute. Let me confess to you whose child I'm carrying. The guy that owns these things. And she just puts out his signet, his bracelet, his staff, verse 26. And Judah acknowledged them and said, notice what he says, She had been more righteous than I, because that I gave her not to Sheila my son, and he knew her again no more. And if you keep reading, you'll read there about the fact that Pharaoh was born, and Pharaoh was put in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Okay, go back to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, look at verse 4. Okay, so you got the first woman mentioned in this, in this chronology. And is it a good story? No, it's not. Tamar is just living in sin. Tamar, she was, I mean, it didn't say anything negative about her. In fact, she might have been a believer. Okay, she was in the line of Judah. She was married to Judah's sons. I mean, she was probably a saved individual. But, but she got, somebody did her wrong. She got bitter about it. And it cost her to sin. Now she's being a prostitute. Now she's pregnant out of wedlock. Now she's got all these issues just sin in her life. Alright? Go to Matthew chapter 1. Look at verse 4. And Aram begat Aminadab. And Aminadab begat Naeson. And Naeson begat Salmon. And Salmon begat Boaz, here's our second woman mentioned in the chronology, of Rechab. And Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse. So the second woman mentioned is this lady. She, is, she begat uh, Boaz of Rechab. Who is this? In the Old Testament, she is known as Rahab. Go to Joshua chapter number 2. <coughs> Joshua chapter number 2. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, chapter number 2, look at verse 1. Joshua chapter 2 and verse 1. Joshua chapter number 2 and verse 1. The Bible says, And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went. Now do you remember? Joshua sends two spies. Now these are not the twelve spies that Moses sent out that brought fear to the people. Joshua sends two spies to look at Jericho because they're going to attack it. Okay? When they go into Jericho, look at the last part of verse 1, and they went and came into a harlot's house named Rahab. Okay? So here, what do we find about Rahab? She's a prostitute also. You see that? She came into a, they came into a harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. Now here's the difference. Tamar was raised in a, you know, we, we could say she was a believer. She could, we could say she, she, had a, she, she should have known better. And she got bitter and she got mad and she went into sin. Rahab, on the other hand, was a harlot and a prostitute, okay? But what happens? She gets saved. Look at verse 2. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men in hither tonight of the children of Israel to search out the country. And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come to thee, which are entered into thine house, for they be come to search out all the country. And the woman took the two men, and hid them, and said thus, There came men unto me, but wist not whence they were. And it came to pass about the time of sh- uh, shutting of the gate, when it was dark, that the men went out. Whether the men went, it, I, I want not, or I know not. Pursue after them quickly, for ye shall overtake them. Okay, so the, the soldiers come, they ask her, where the two guys guys that came to your house, she said, two guys came to my house, I didn't know they were spies, they left already, I don't know where they went. So she covered for them. Because earlier in the passage, we saw that she hid them. Alright, verse 6. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 6 is where we find that she hid. But she had brought them up to the roof of her house, and hid them with the stalks of flax, and she had laid in order upon the roof. And when the men pursued after them the way of Jordan unto the fords, as soon as they which pursued after them were gone out, they shut the gate. And before they were laid down, she came up unto them upon the roof. And she said unto them, and notice what she said. Okay, so I want you to understand the context. Spies come into Jericho, they go to a prostitute's house to hide... Okay, she takes them up to the roof, hides them. The soldiers come. She says, I don't know where they went. She sends them away. She covered for them. Okay, now notice what she says to them, verse 9. And she said unto the men, 
I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what ye did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as ye, we had heard these things, our hearts did melt, neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. Now notice what this harlot says. For the Lord your God. So she says, look, your God, here's what she's gonna, she's gonna confess right now. She says, your God, He is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. This woman got saved. She said, she said, look, I understand, I acknowledge that your God is the one true God. And this woman ends up You know, if if you remember the story, she ends up being saved from the destruction in Jericho. She marries a man. That man has a child named Boaz. And by the way, the entire book of Ruth deals with Boaz marrying Ruth. You're starting to see how all these things connect in the Bible. Go go back to Matthew chapter 1. Look at verse 5 again. Remember Ruth in the Bible? We preached through the book of Ruth a couple years back. Ruth and Boaz. Boaz's mother was Rahab the harlot. And the only way we would know that is by reading the chronology in Matthew chapter 1, the chronology that you like to skip. So you ought to read it. Matthew chapter 1, look at verse 5. And Salmon begat Boaz of Rahab, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth. Here's a third woman mentioned in the chronology of Ruth. And Obed begat Jesse. Now, go to Ruth chapter number 1. Ruth chapter number 1. We have Tamar, who's living in sin. We have Rahab, who was saved out of sin. We have Ruth. What's the problem with Ruth? Well, the problem with Ruth is that she's a Moabite. She comes from a very wicked nation. God has very negative things to say about the nation of Moab. Let's try to go through this quickly. Uh, But I want you to see it in its context. Go to Ruth chapter number 1. Look at verse 1. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his sons, Malon and Chilion. Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. So they leave... Judah, the will of God, and they go to Moab, the world. Why? For money. The love of money is the root of all evil. And money will take you away from the will of God if you allow it to. Verse 3. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives. Okay, so her two sons take wives of the woman of Moab. The name of the one was Oprah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. And Malon and Chilion died also, both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Does it sound like God is blessing these people? Why, why do you leave the will of God? A better job over here. Yeah, but then your husband dies, your boys die. So, some things, you know, are, are more important than money. Look at verse 6. And she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited the people in giving them bread. Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. So here's what happened. Naomi comes to the land. Her husband dies. Her two sons married two women. The boys die. Naomi decides, I'm going back to Judah. Okay? Verse 8. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, returns each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you, as ye have dealt with me, uh, as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. So she tells him, go back home. I'm going back home too. Verse 9. And the Lord grant you that ye may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, so they both said, well, we want to go with you. And Naomi said, verse 11, turn again, my daughters, why will thou go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? She's like, look, why are you going to go with me? I don't have any other kids to give you a husband. 
Turn again, my daughters, go your way. For I am too old to have a husband. If I should say, I have hope. If I should have a husband also tonight, and should also bear sons, would ye tarry for them till they were grown? So she's saying, look, if I got married right now, if I got pregnant tonight, would you wait for those kids to get grown? For you? She's like, I can't give you a husband. She's like, go back home. And you understand the, the, the society here? Is that if your husband dies, you're supposed to get a husband from the same family. Would you stay them for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. Why? It wouldn't have gone out against you in Judah. Let me tell you something. Be very careful about leaving the will of God for a job or for money. Verse 15. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law... I'm sorry, verse 14. And they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Oprah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clayed unto her. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people and unto her gods. You see the lowercase g, gods? Return thou after thy sister-in-law. So Oprah says, Okay, you're right, Naomi. See you later. Goes back to her gods. Goes back to her old religion. Goes back to her old lifestyle. Look at verse 16. And Ruth said, notice what Ruth says, okay? We're about to see Ruth get saved. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or return from falling after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people will be my people. Notice what she says. And thy God, my God. He said, I'm not going back to Moab. I'm not going back to the false gods of Moab. Ruth, uh, Ruth says to Naomi, to Naomi, your God is going to be my God. Your people are going to be my people. I'm going with you. And if you read, and if you read the story of Ruth, remember she goes back to, to Judah. And you've got to remember, people are not going to be pleased with Ruth. Why? Because she's a Moabite. She grew up on the wrong side of the tracks. She came from the wrong family. You understand that? But Boaz does. I wonder if Boaz had compassion on her because Boaz's mother was a harlot named Rahab who also left her sinful past and got saved. It's interesting if you study the Bible, the things that will come together. Go back to Matthew chapter 1, look at verse 6. Let me give you the fourth woman mentioned. Matthew chapter 1, look at verse 6. The fourth woman mentioned in this lineage. Matthew 1.6 And Jesse begat David the king. Notice the emphasis on the king. This is David the king. <coughs> and David the king begat Solomon. So David had a son named Solomon. Now notice what it says. Of, it doesn't even give us a name. Here's what it says. Of her that had been the wife of Urias. God doesn't even give us a name of her. He just says, remember that woman that was married to Urias? That's the, guy, that's the woman that David had a son named Solomon. God is almost like just bringing attention to the sin. Okay? Go to 2 Samuel chapter number 11. I know, well, look, we're doing good on time. I've only been preaching 42 minutes. And I, I got two, two, three pages left of notes, and we'll go through them quickly. But go, go to 2 Samuel chapter number 11. We'll do this fast. This woman, her that had been the wife of Urias, we know from the Old Testament, her name is Bathsheba. Okay, let's read about her a little bit. Second Samuel chapter number 11, look at verse 1. Okay, so, four women mentioned the Bible. First, in the chronology. First one, Tamar. She is living in wicked sin. She dresses like a prostitute. She, she uh, tricks her father-in-law. She gets pregnant out of wedlock. We have Rahab the harlot, who is a prostitute, who has been a prostitute in her past, but she gets saved out of there. We have Ruth, who's a Moabitess. She was born to the wrong family. She was born in the wrong uh, social structure. She was born to the wrong, you know, just the wrong side of town. She's got a wicked background, but she gets saved. Now we have here that Sheba, okay, 2 Samuel chapter number 11, look at verse 1. And it came to pass, after the year was expired, at the time, make note of this, at the time when kings go forth to battle. David, this was the time when he was supposed to go out to battle. David had a job to do. But he decided to stay home. Notice what it says. And it came to pass after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Reba. But David, look what it says, tarried.
still at Jerusalem. Now it was the time that kings go off to battle, but David tarries still at Jerusalem. Let me tell you something. Idle time is devil time. Keep yourself busy. You give yourself a whole lot of time to just doing nothing, you're going to find yourself getting into trouble. Amen. David would have got himself, David would have, would, have, would have bypassed a whole lot of problems in his life if he would have just done what he was supposed to do, which is to go fight a battle. But he decided, I'm going to take it easy. I'm going to stay home. You got to keep yourself fighting battles. Amen. You got to keep yourself fighting. Keep yourself learning. Keep yourself growing. It'll keep you out of trouble. Look at verse 2. So David, supposed to go out to battle, he decides to stay home, he sends Joab and the guys, verse 2, and it came to pass in the evening tide that David arose from off his bed, you know, he can't sleep, let me tell you something, if you, you get up early in the morning, you work all day, you have no problem going to sleep, you say, Pastor, I have, I have trouble going to bed and I stay up all night all day, it's because you sleep all day, you can't sleep at night, because you spend six hours watching TV all day, relaxing, then you wonder why you can't Verse 2, And it came to pass at evening time that David rose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. Now listen to me. I'm not excusing Bathsheba. Okay? She was obviously bathing in a place where people could see her. That's not a good thing. Okay? So I'm not saying that Bathsheba was completely faultless in this. But let me tell you something. Just because a woman dresses wrong, just because a woman exposes herself, men, does not give you an excuse to look at her. The Bible says when you look upon a woman to lust after her in your heart, you have committed adultery. Well, she dressed like that. Doesn't matter. Bathsheba was bathing somewhere where somebody could see her. David should have turned away. And David said, verse 3, and inquired after the woman. And one said, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam? The wife of Uriah the Hittite? So they said, hey, isn't this woman married? The one you're inquiring about, David? And David sent messengers and took her. And she came in unto him. And he lay with her. For she was purified from her uncleanness. And she returned unto her house. So David committed adultery with this woman. Verse 5. And the woman conceived. And sent and told David and said, I am a child. Now you got this woman pregnant. Out of wedlock, again, out of adultery. I'm not going to take the time to go through the whole story. We'll skip a little bit. But David gets this bright idea. Let me tell you something. One sin causes you to cover. Amen. One lie will cause you to lie again to cover the, other, the right. first lie. David gets this bright idea. Because Bathsheba says, hey David, I'm pregnant. So David sends, because her husband Uriah was at war where David should have been. Right. And David calls Joab, the general, and says, bring me Uriah, bring him with a message to me. Okay? So Uriah comes, tells David, you know, this is what's going on. David's like, okay, great, listen, you relax a little bit, go back home tonight, and then afterwards you can go back to war. Here's David's idea. Uriah is going to go sleep with his wife, go back to war, then it's going to come out that Sheba is pregnant, and everyone's going to assume it's Uriah's baby because, you know, Uriah came back to give David the news. Right? Are you following what I'm saying? But here's the difference between Uriah and David. Uriah was more righteous than David because Uriah slept at the door of the king's house. He refused to go back home. And David asked him, he said, why, why did you not go back home? And this is what he said. He said, the Ark of the Covenant is intense, out at war. He said, my brethren are out at war. He said, I can't go back home and relax and, and, and be with my wife while my brethren are fighting the battle. Wow. Talk about integrity. So David gets another idea. He tries to get him drunk. And he does get him drunk. Hoping that he'll go back home. But still, Uriah refused to go back home. While his brethren were fighting a battle. Amen. Go to Second Samuel chapter 11. Look at verse 14. So what happens? And it came to pass in the morning. That David wrote a letter to Joab. And sent it by the hand of Uriah. So David writes a letter to Joab the general. He gives it to Uriah. Says Uriah give this letter to Joab. Verse 15. And he wrote in the letter saying. 
Set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle, and retire ye from him, that he may be smitten and die. Do you see that? So, he writes a letter. The letter's to Joab. The letter says, Joab, I want you to find the most dangerous part of the battle. The hottest part of the battle. Put, put Uriah right in the front lines. And right, right when it gets real hard and dangerous, I want everybody to just back up. I want you to give a signal. Everybody is in on it except Uriah. I want everybody to retreat and just leave Uriah alone so the enemy will kill him. He gives this letter to Uriah. Uriah, such a faithful man, he's carrying the letter that has his, his death warrant on it. Look at verse 16. And it came to pass when Joab observed the city that he assigned Uriah unto a place where he knew that the valiant men were. And the men of the city went out and fought with Joab. And there fell some of the people of the servants of David. And Uriah the Hittite died also. And of course I'm not going to take the time to give you the whole story. You can go back to Matthew chapter 1. But if you remember, Nathan the prophet comes to David. Remember he gives him that, that prophecy, that parable. He says, there was a man, he said, David, let me tell you a story. There was a man who had all these sheep. He had anything he wanted, but he he decided to take his neighbor's sheep and steal his neighbor's sheep when he could have had anything. And David gets mad. He says, what? I can't believe he would do that. That man's going to die. And Nathan the prophet, as a godly preacher that he is, puts his finger in David's face and says, thou art the man, David. He said, you could have had anything, you could have had any woman, and you decide to take the wife of another man. And God cursed him, and, and David had all sorts of problems in his family because of it. And I'm not preaching through First and Second Samuel, we'll deal with that another time, go, go to Matthew. But I want you to understand the context of these stories. He said, Pastor Manus, what can we learn from this? Here's what we can learn from it. This chronology, okay, from Genesis... When God told Adam and Eve that through the seed of Eve would come the Savior. When God told Abraham that through his seed would come the Savior. When God told David that through his seed would come the King that would bring liberty. Okay, the purpose of this chronology is to show us that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, praise God. The word Messiah means He's the Savior. He's the Christ. He's the one that came to forgive, to to save us of our sins. And not only is He the Savior and the Messiah, He is also the King, the rightful King, not only of Israel, but of the world. The purpose of the chronology is that Jesus Christ is everything we needed. He's our Savior. He's our King. But here's the question. Why does God choose to give us four women in this chronology? And He's almost bringing... The attention that these women all had, either sin in their lives, or a sinful past, or they were... You say, why why does God do that? Here's what God's trying to show us. God can use anyone He wants to use. You say, Pastor Jimenez, I don't think God can use me. I've got so much sin in my life. You mean like Tamar? Who God still used to bring us the Messiah? Who God still used to bring us the Savior? Do you understand that 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 young boy, Pharaoh, he was born out of of a prostitute, out out of of the act of a prostitute. He was born out of sin. And God said, I don't care if he's born out of sin. I'm going to use that young man to bring the Messiah. See, Pastor Jimenez, I don't don't think God can use me. You don't understand. My background is so bad. And and God saved me. Look, like like Rahab, who was a prostitute. And she got saved and God used her to bring the Messiah. You know, you understand, I, I didn't grow up in a Christian home like you did. And I, I never was, I didn't read the Bible as a kid. And I didn't get saved till later on in life. And I didn't even know, I had so many wasted years. Like Ruth. Amen. Who was raised in Moab, a wicked nation. Hey, Pastor Jimenez, I've been a victim. Now listen to me, I'm not excusing Bathsheba. She shouldn't have been bathing in a place where people could see her. But I don't think her sin really brought up, brought to her life. You know, she wasn't asking for everything that came to her life. The king of Israel sent men to get her. She gets pregnant. Then her husband dies because of it. Then her own child dies because of it. I mean, this lady had circumstances in her life 
that look, she was a sinner and she shouldn't have been doing what she was doing, but I don't think that justifies what happened to her. Say, Pastor Menace, I've, I've had so many things happen to me in my life. I've had people take advantage of me. I've had sin in my life. Things I didn't ask for, like Bathsheba, because God still used Bathsheba. I'm just trying to tell you that God can use whatever He wants, whenever He wants, whoever He wants, however He wants. And you and I do not have an excuse to say, God can't use me. God can use anyone. Amen. I think He mentions these women just to draw attention. It's like, look at these people's lives. And yet I will bring the Messiah through these women. Let me give you just in conclusion a couple, uh, uh, a couple things to, to look at. Go, go back to Matthew chapter 1. I want to just give you a couple things to think about and, and, and we'll be done, okay? Look at verse 7. And Solomon begat Roboam, and Roboam begat Abiah, and Abiah begat Asa, and Asa begat Josaphat, and Josaphat begat Joram, and Joram, why don't you make note of this, Joram begat Ozias. Now, if you study First uh, and Second Kings, specifically Second Kings, and First and Second Chronicles, specifically Second Chronicles, you will find that between Joram and Ozias, there are three kings who are skipped. They are not. There's three kings that Joram's son was not Ozias. Joram had a son whose name was Ahaziah. He had a son whose name was Joash. Joash had a son whose name was Amaziah, and Amaziah had a son whose name was Ozias. Okay, so there are three kings skipped in that, uh, in, in that lineage. And, and I'll be honest with you, I'm not 100% sure why God does that. There are theories out there. I'll, I'll share them. I'll give you a few theories for you to think about. One theory is that these guys were so wicked that God decided to keep them out of the lineage. I don't know if that's true, because if you keep studying this lineage, there's some pretty wicked guys in there. Manasseh is in the lineage, and he was the worst one of all. Uh, so I, you know, but that's something people say. Another thing people say is that God kept them out of there because they were so insignificant. In the Bible, a lineage is not necessarily just to show us everybody. It's to prove a point. What's the point they're trying to prove? Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the King. So maybe they were so insignificant that they didn't need to be mentioned. There are other uh, chronologies where people are skipped. So that's normal in Scripture. That may be the reason. I don't know if that's true. Uh, another another uh, theory is that the, the, the son there after Joram was actually not a physical son, but he was an adopted son. So God kept him and his three children after him out of the lineage. And uh, again, you know, I'll, I'll try to study it out. If I can find more information, I'll get it for you. Uh, you know, there's a passage in Second Chronicles that shows that Joram died at the age of 40, and his son became king at the age of 42. So how could a son be older than his dad? Okay, so maybe he was an adopted son, and that's why God kept him out. That probably seems like the best theory to go with. I'm sure that there's uh, more we could study out on that. Uh, so maybe you should study that out. That'd be good. Good there. Uh, verse 9, And Ozias begat Jotham, and Jotham begat Achaz, and Achaz begat Ezekias, and Ezekias begat Manasseh, Manasseh begat Ammon, Ammon begat Josias, Josias begat Jeconias, and his brethren, about the time they were carried to Babylon. And, um, let me, let me just say, well, look at verse 12, And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconias begat Salathiel, Salathiel begat Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel begat Abiud, Abiud begat Eliakim, Eliakim begat Azor, Azor begat Sadok, Sadok begat Achim, Achim begat Eliud, Eliud begat Eleazar, Eleazar begat Mathan, Mathan begat Jacob, Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who was called the Christ. And let me just give you one more thing. Well, look at verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David unto the carrying away of Babylon are fourteen generations. And from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are fourteen generations. Okay? Fourteen generations from Abraham to the first king, David. Fourteen generations from David to the last king before they went into captivity. And then fourteen generations from captivity to when Jesus was born. Now here's the thing. If you go through and count all the people mentioned there, they, you're one name short. Okay, so people often will look at that and say, see, there's a problem here, the Bible doesn't make any sense. Um, you know, I, I believe, this is my theory, if you look at verse 17 again, I want you to see this. It says, so the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. So if you count the names from Abraham all the way to David, you get 14. 
But then, I believe maybe the way we're supposed to be doing it is not start counting at the next name Solomon, because it says, and from David until the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations. So maybe David's will be counted twice there. You count from Abraham to David, then you count from David to the carrying away of the, uh, of the generations, and from the carrying away to Babylon to Christ are 14 generations. And I bring that up just to tell you, don't let people, you know, cause you to doubt the Word of God. If ever there's something wrong in the Word of God, we're probably looking at it wrong and not studying it out enough. I'm sure the Bible, you know, eventually we'll figure it out if we study it long enough. So you ought to study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So that's the genealogy there in Matthew. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Dearly Father, <coughs> Lord, we ask that you please uh, just bless us as we go on our way. Thank you, Father, for allowing us to be able to study your word. And thank you, Lord, that even in a chronology... That people usually like to skip. A lot of pastors will not even preach through it. They'll just skip it and get right into the story. Thank you for allowing us to be able to learn from it and be able to realize that there's that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And Father, I pray you'd bless us and send us on your way, on our way. In your precious name, I pray, Lord. Amen. <laughs>